today, as you can see, we have a guest with us, uh, one of the most requested guest speakers at the Hills, Dr. Dan Boone. <laughs> We're so God. delighted you're with us today. And just so you know, I am not the most requested speaker at the Hills <laughs> by far. <laughs> well, there, there's a reason, though. You, you preach every week. I just, you know, I get to work for a year to get one good sermon. That's right. Okay. Yeah, so that, so. you had a whole year to study. Well, today's going to be really good then. Uh, Dr. Boone was with us uh, sometime last year, and so many of you have asked when he was coming back, and we just felt like this would be a, a great time for, for him to be with us. We love you and your wife so much. And Thanks. Dr. Boone uh, is also the president of Trevecca Nazarene University, where our son Evan just graduated from, yep. and uh, he loves you so much as well. Oh, and I am. I think that it is really ironic that we, here on Pentecost Sunday, we have a Nazarene speaking. That'll work. Y'all don't have your own Sunday, do you? <laughs> just us Pentecostals have our own Sunday. <laughs> But, I love it. But you know, when you look at the Pentecostal denominations yeah. and the Nazarene denomination, they're really branches of the same tree. Yeah, the early name of the Church of the Nazarene was the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. I had so no idea. That we started with that name. So, so here we go. Yeah. So we got a Pentecostal Nazarene speaking for us today <laughs> on Pentecost Sunday. Come on, those of you in the studio, those at home, would you welcome Dr. Dan Boone today? God bless you. <laughs> Thanks. It's great to be back with you. Many of you remember... Uh, you remember when I was here before, but what you remember is that we went through the book of Revelation in like a minute and 15 seconds, just, you know, nonstop. And I've had uh, bumped into a lot of you across the week since then. And it's good to be back with you again, especially on Pentecost Sunday, uh, because I think there's something powerful in what I'm about to share and the understanding of Pentecost. Uh, someone stopped me the other day and said, Dan, do you believe that this current pandemic that we're in is a sign of God's anger and wrath upon the world and that this is God's way of saying to human beings, I'll show you who's in charge here. You know, is, is this a movement of God to bring uh, divine retribution on human evil in the context of this? I didn't immediately answer, and I won't immediately answer now, but I think you'll know my answer by the time we get to the end. Because I think when questions like this pop up, what we believe as Christians is that God's Spirit still breathes these words out of Holy Scripture to us. And in this day of celebration on the day of Pentecost, when we think about the fact that the Spirit breathed the church into existence by, by giving life, giving the life of the resurrected Jesus to the people of God. We also know that the word that we have that tells us the story of God and the story of Jesus, that this word is also God-breathed. It's almost as if when we open these ancient words written centuries ago, that the Holy Spirit breathes on them and they pop into life to help us right now. Yes. Well, in response to that question that I was asked, do I think that this current pandemic is a reaction of God's wrath upon human evil? My thoughts went to the story of Noah. So for the next few minutes, if you'd like, grab a Bible. Let's look. We're in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. Uh, you know, we're barely into the biblical story. Uh, we're chapter 6 of a long, long narrative, but something's going off the rails here very quickly. We're told 
that God looked down and he saw that the humans that he had created had filled the earth with violence. And the word that is used there is the Hebrew word Hamas, a word that we know very well in terms of current political uh, terror that happens. That's that Hebrew word that these humans that God created five chapters earlier in Genesis 1 and 2, that these very creatures have now exponentially filled the earth and they brought violence upon the earth. And we read one of the saddest verses, I think, in all of Scripture. And it says very clearly in chapter 6, And God regretted that He had made humankind on the face of the earth. That word regret, it's the same word that we saw in the Hebrew over in Genesis chapter 2 when it talks about the woman bore pain in the uh, delivery of a child. And this was a part of the, of the curse of sin upon humankind. This pain that a woman would have in childbirth. That's the same word that's used for God regretting here. God has a pain in His gut over having created humankind. Now think about that for a moment. Uh, we're five, six chapters into a thousand page story and already the main character, God, has regrets about the whole thing. And then the next verses are the ones that are so deeply sad. So God decided that He would send a flood and through that flood He would wipe out everything in whose nostrils was the breath of life. Now, I, you know, boy, I just think about that. Now, my friend who asked me the question, do you think this current pandemic might be the activity of God against the evil of humankind? Well, it certainly looks like we're into a story here in Genesis 6 that might suggest that. But before you draw that conclusion... Let's go a little further into the story. You know the story. God finds Noah. Noah is the most righteous man on the face of the earth. I mean, this is Billy Graham and Mother Teresa all kind of rolled up into one. And Noah is this wonder, wonderful, saintly kind of character who's there. But what's interesting about the Noah story is that Noah never speaks. If you read all three chapters of this story, Noah never has a single line that he says. I don't know why. Uh, maybe God was so tired of human drivel and chatter that He was looking for someone who was quiet enough to just listen to the instructions coming from heaven because God told Him to do something kind of interesting. Build this boat and gather two of every kind of living creature into the boat and His family and get ready for the flood. You know the story. The flood comes and the ark begins to rise. And you begin to see the extinguishing of every creature that there is. Now what's interesting about the story of the flood is that it really is the story of creation in reverse. Because the story of creation that we saw in Genesis 1 and 2 is the story of the earth being uh, void and formless and chaotic. Darkness hovered over the deep. You know, it starts in this chaotic mess that nothing can live inside of. And then God begins to create and through the days of creation, God structures the earth, sun and moon and day and night and, and land and sea. And you begin to see an ordered creation in which humankind can thrive. And they begin to thrive and we've got the story of the Garden of Eden at that point. 
But what happens in the Noah story is that we begin to move. It was chaos, and then we move to this ordered peace, and now we move back to chaos again as these dark waters begin to take over the whole earth until nothing can survive. And there is that sad, sad line that just simply says, and everything in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. And here's Noah, and he is waiting 40 days, nothing. You know the number 40 in Scripture. It's the time of testing. Waited another 150 days, nothing. Here he is floating out there, knowing that God, the God of creation, has decided to obliterate everything, and he's there on the boat. The flood is God's delete button. The flood is God's eraser. And God is down to one floating zoo from being done with the whole lot of us. And then there is that verse in Genesis 8-1 that says, But God remembered Noah and those who were with him on the ark. And from that moment of God's memory, we begin to see the waters recede and there began to be signs of a future and finally the ark goes all the way down to the ground and they come off into that muddy mess that's there and they begin to debark the ark and from that point creation begins to thrive and grow again. Now this is what's interesting to me. In this story of Noah we we, we have it moving through this time of God's action and then this time of God's silence and then finally this moment when they come off the ark. And do you remember the first thing they do when they come off the ark? They build an altar and they offer sacrifice. Sacrifice that life will be yielded up that is saving and redeeming. The sacrifice that we know in our story eventually culminates in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. What do we have happening here? Many people say that this story of Noah is a story of God's attempt to change evil humanity. Well, if that's true, it didn't work because we're as evil after the flood as we were before the flood, if not worse. What the story of Noah is about, it's about God. It's about an understanding that God is not like Baal, the God of divine retribution. You sin, you die. God is not a vending machine kind of God where we put something in and we get something out. Our God is a God who is free to respond to human evil in any way. In the beginning of the story, God's choice of responding to human evil is, I will blot out. But at the end of the story, it is, I will make sacrifice. I will enter into human suffering and I will walk alongside of it and I will not only provide the sacrificial animal, but I one day will even offer up the sacrifice of my own son as my response to the evil of humanity. God's response to human evil is not to take us out with a pandemic. God's response to human evil is that He steps in to lovingly suffer with us 
in the person of Jesus Christ. We need to remember that seated at the right hand of God right this moment is a Christ who experienced our flesh and blood and is interpreting our experiences in this pandemic to the Father, that the Father may release the Spirit into our world to give to us the help that we need. You remember in the, you remember in the Noah story that God hangs a rainbow in the sky. Now, the rainbow is not to remind us of God's decision never again destroy the earth by flood. God says, I will put the rainbow in the sky to remind myself never again to do this. We see a God in this three chapters of Scripture who goes from I will blot out to never again. A God who goes from taking away breath to giving life through suffering love and sacrificial death. We see a God whose character takes a form that it portrays the rest of Scripture that we have together. Where is God in the middle of this pandemic? For a lot of people it feels like the breath of everything is being extinguished in some way through this. That life itself is being shut down and clamped down and all of this. And that God might be the one behind that shaking an angry fist at us and saying, I'll show you who's on the throne. I'll prove to you who's in charge of the world. Well, let me tell you, God is on the throne and God is in control of this world. But the activity of God in the story of Noah is much more about God being suffering love personified to come to us in this moment and to help lift us up. I remember a great statement by an old theologian named Leslie Weatherhead. He said, God does not will every situation, but God has a will in every situation. And while God did not bring this pandemic on us, God in the midst of this pandemic has a will that we might cry out to Him that we might be again in touch with our own fragile humanity, that we might be neighbors to one another, that we might provide healing grace and, and food and help to one another, that we might learn that our worship of this God can happen even in technological ways like this uh, on Pentecost Sunday, and even believing that the Spirit of God can move from this moment where I'm sitting on this stool with this Bible in this studio to right where you are in this given moment. And God's Spirit can breathe upon you and bring you this life in wonderful ways. This story of Noah, I, I just keep thinking about it. It needs to be a part of our response that says, I get it why you might think that God just wants to ball up an angry fist and let the world have it. We've got stories in the scripture about that, but this is one where we see our God move from that God to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is the one who sufferingly dies on a cross. One last little piece, and this is just a PS I'm gonna throw in. I found myself thinking the other day about John chapter 11. Um, this is the point and time that Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus has died. And, uh, and they're asking him this question. Why did you let this happen? If you had been here, our brother would not have died. In other words, they're kind of pinning on God this particular death. It's interesting to me that Jesus never answers their question. Never answers their question. What Jesus does is he weeps 
and then he prays, and then he appeals to the power of God to address this given situation. I think for us, rather than trying to explain this tragedy by tacking it onto something God has motives for, I think our role as Christians is to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, to pray and to lament, and also to call on divine power to do everything that we can do in this moment because we are the people of the Holy Spirit going into this world doing everything that God has called us to do. I hope this is helpful to you on this good Pentecost Sunday. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to share. Oh, come on, Dr. Bay. So good. Oh, my goodness. What, a, what eloquence. What an orator. I don't know if you like those words, but when I, when I listen to you and, and yet I feel, I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit and I hope that, that you all did. I know that you did. I want to give you an opportunity today for those of you that need to see God the way that he just expressed him. Maybe you've seen God as the God of judgment, the God of wrath. Maybe it's how you were raised. Maybe how your grandma taught you. Maybe a pastor taught you that way. Or maybe it's because of some things you've done and you feel like you don't deserve to be loved or to be cared for, I hope that you will see the God that Dr. Boone just shared with us. I know that it makes me want to run to him. I would love for you to do the same thing today. So those of you that have, maybe you've never even started a relationship with Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Or maybe you've walked away, and this is a great opportunity for you to come back. If you could just picture that loving father in the story of the prodigal that's just waiting on the porch looking for his son to come home. I promise you, if you'll just make one step toward him, you're going to see him come running after you today. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's, it, it's really simple. Uh, it's really simple. It's not easy because the hard part was paid for by Jesus on the cross. But it is simple. He said, if you'll, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. So why don't you just join with me right now? Those of you in the studio, those of you at home, just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this message of grace and of hope, I receive it today. And I receive you today, Lord. Thank you that you did not come to punish me this morning, but you came to reward me because of what you did on the cross. Nothing that I've done, but today I put my faith in you. I take a step toward you. I'm running toward you. Forgive me of my sins. I pray that you would cover me with your grace Fill me with your Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. And I want everything that comes with it. And help me to live an overcoming, abundant, and everlasting life in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. amen. Come on, let's celebrate with the folks that prayed amen. that prayer. Thank you, Lord. Amen.